0: soft story classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred Keith, Episode 1. A spring morning in 1830, winter's icy breath exchanged for gentle breezes, a faint, tinge of yellow green on the woods but now so brown and bare valets and anemones showing their pretty, modest faces by the roadside hill and valley clothed with verdure rivulets dancing and singing the river rolling onward in majestic gladness apple peach and cherry trees in bloom birds building their nestes Men and women busied here and there in field or garden, and over all the uncertain glory of an April day. The snow now shining out warm and bright from a cloudless sky, now veiling his face, while a sudden shower of rain sends the busy workers hurrying to the nearest shelter. The air is full of pleasant rural sounds, the chirp of insects the twittering of birds the crowing of cocks now near at hand now far away mellowed by the distance and in the streets of the pretty village of lansdale down yonder in the valley there is the cheerful hum of busy life of buying and selling of tearing down and building up neighbors chatting on doorsteps or over the garden fence Boys whistling and hallooing to their friends, children conning their caskets, and mothers crooning to their babies. Out of the side door of a substantial brick house, standing far back from the street, in the midst of a garden where the grass is of a velvety green, sprangled with violets and snowballs, and lilacs are bursting into bloom, steps a slight girlish figure. The face half hidden under a broad-brimmed garden hat is now regularly beautiful, but there is a great deal of character in it. The mouth is both firm and sweet, the lips are full and red, the eyes are large, dark and lustrous, and the complexion rich with the hues of health. She sends a quick glance from side to side, clasps her hands together with a gesture of a sudden pain, paces rapidly to and fro for a moment, seemingly striving after self-control, then turning into a path that leads across the garden to the hedge that separates it from another, hastens down it, opens the gate, and passing through looks about so as if in search of someone. But there is no one there, and the girl trips gracefully onward to the house, a pretty cottage with vine covered porches. The parlour windows were open, and within a, in a little lady of middle age, quaintly attired in a chintz gown, and scant and made after a pattern particularly her own, was busied with brush and duster. Catching sight of the young girl as she stepped upon the porch, she called to her in a remarkably sweet toned voice. In here, dearie, just step through the window. I'm glad to see you the windows opening to the floor. It was an easy matter to obey, and the girl did so. Then stood silent, her lips quivering, her eyes full. "'My child, what is it?' cried the older lady, dropping her duster to take the girl's hand and draw her to a seat upon the sofa. "'Is—is anyone ill?' "'No, no, not that, Aunt Wealthy.' And the girl swallowed down her tears and spoke with a determined effort to be calm. But something has happened, and Mother delegated me to bring you the news. You know, Father has been talking for some time of leaving Lansdale, and this morning, at breakfast, he told us, us children, I mean, he and Mother had talked it over last night, and I don't believe she slept much for thinking of it, that he had fully made up his mind to move out to Indiana and we're to go just as soon as we can get ready. There, now, you know it all, finishing with a burst of tears in spite of herself. For a moment her listener was dumb with surprise, but it was not in wealthy Stanhope's nature to witness distress without an effort to comfort and relieve. To lose the society of this family, who were her, her nearest and dearest relatives, would be a great grief to her. The mother, Marcia Keith, the orphan child of a sister, committed to her care in early infancy and trained up by her to a lovely and useful womanhood was as a daughter to her, her boys and girls, as grandchildren, to be loved and petted and rejoiced over after the custom of fond grandparents. What a lonely old age for her without them! That was her first thought. The next, how to assuage the sorrow of the weeping girl at her side. There, there, Mildred dear, she said softly, stroking and patting the hand she held. Perhaps you will find it not so bad after all. There must be a bright side to the picture that we shall discover if we look for it determinedly. There will be new scenes, perhaps, some adventures on the journey. "'Yes, Auntie, very likely, and I've often wished I could have some adventures,' Mildred answered, dashing away her tears with a rather historical little laugh. "'You're not going to school today?' "'No, Auntie, no more school for me. That's the hard part of it, for I do so want a good education. "'Well, dear, you shall have books, and your father and mother, both educated people, will help you. "'And who knows, but you may in the end distance your mates here.' "'The knowledge we gain by our own efforts out of school is often the most serviceable.' The girl's face brightened. "'If I don't turn out something worthwhile, it shall not be for want of trying,' she said, her cheeks flushing, her eyes sparkling. "'Then starting up, I must hurry home, for Mother and I are going to work with might and main at the spring sewing, and then at the tearing up and packing. Aunt Wealthy, I'm glad I'm old enough to be a help. There are so many younger ones, you know.' "'Yes, Millie, and you are a great help and comfort to your mother. "'If if I could only learn her patience, "'but the children are dreadfully trying "'with their untidy ways, their mischief and noise. "'They nearly distract me at times, "'and before I know it I've given somebody a shake or a slap, "'or if not that, a very uncomplimentary piece of my mind.' "'She added, half laughing, half sighing. "'Then with a hasty goodbye she tripped away. Her aunt calling after her, Tell your mother I'll be in after a while. Miss Stanhope sat where the girl had left her, the usually busy hands folded in her lap, her gaze fixed meditatively on the carpet. Presently she lifted her head with a deep, drawn sigh. Her eye passed slowly over the room, resting lovingly now upon this familiar object, now upon that. I don't think they would sell for much, she said musingly. The carpet has been in wear for thirty-odd years, and the colors have faded a good deal. The chairs and tables are older still, and so are the pictures on the walls. That sampler my grandmother worked when she was a young girl, which was many years ago, and these chair cushions too, rising and going from one to another, giving to each in turn a little loving shake and pat. She embroidered in feathers, and so I value them more than their weight in gold marcia i think values them also but to a stranger i suppose they would all seem old dingy and worthless though to me they are real treasures i've a sincere affection for them but what is that to my love for marcia and her children what indeed she hastily picked up duster and brush gave a finishing touch here and there drew down the blinds and left the room A few moments later, she might have been seen in bonnet and shawl, one armed with a large cotton umbrella issuing from her front gate, and walking briskly toward the business part of the town. It was nearly two hours before she returned, with a step a trifle less brisk, and arms filled with brown paper parcels. She passed her own gate and stopped at Mr. Keith's. Mildred ran to open it. "'Why, Auntie, how you are loaded! Give me your bundles!' Yes, child, carry them in to your mother. I've been to every store in town. Such beautiful remnants. Couldn't help buying. Make up pretty for the children. Fraid there's none big enough for you, dear. Am all out of breath with walking. Yes, it's too bad. Don't say anything more till you've rested, said the girl, leading the way into the pleasant family room, hastily laying the packages on the table and drawing forward a large, cushioned rocking chair. There, sit down, Auntie, and let me take your things. Aunt Wealthy? Come at last. We've been wondering what kept you, said a handsome, matronly, but still youthful-looking lady with a babe in her arms. Coming in at that moment, are you... And you've been out shopping? I hope you were not caught in any of the showers. No, I managed to dodge them, sandwiching my walks in between. So you're going to leave Lansdale, Marcia? Yes, Auntie. And you? That's the worst of it. The cheery voice faltered over the last words, and the bright eyes grew dim. Not so fast, Marcia. Who says that I'm to be left behind? Aunt Wealthy, do you mean it? Is it possible you could think of such a sacrifice? cried Mrs. Keith, starting up and nearly dropping her babe in her intense, joyful surprise. As what? queried the aunt between a smile and a tear. Marsha, I can't give up my home, as you very well know, but I have found a tenant for it, the minister and his wife, who are perfectly delighted to get it, for it's their only chance for Go, going to housekeeping, and they'll be sure to take good care of my furniture and other belongings, and renting it just as it stands for a year, and I'm going with you to sir land. It'll be quite an import, importation of Buckeyes, won't it, all coming in one lot. And the good affectionate old soul finished with a laugh jumped up from her chair and stretching out her arms to three little ones who had come running in while she was speaking caught them to her bosom kissed and cried over them asking are you glad cyril are you glad don and fan too are you glad that andy is going with you there was a chorus of shouts of delight there were huggings and kissings asking and answering of questions and then things quieted down a little and the children went back to their playing cyril remarking as he shut the door now i shan't cry when we go cause all my friends and collations is going alone now to business said aunt wealthy attacking the parcels i'm going to help you marcia in getting your tribe ready for their exodus out of this land of plenty into that western wilderness here are two or three dress patterns apiece for the little girls These stuffed ones are for them to travel in, and I think they had better be made long-necked and high-sleeved, don't you? Mrs. Keith looked up with a slightly puzzled expression, then a light breaking over her face, for she was used to her aunt's transpositions. I don't know, she answered dubiously. Wouldn't it make them look a little old womanish? Low necks and short sleeves are prettier for children, I think, and they're used to it. "'Summer's coming on, too, and we must expect warm weather. "'What route shall you take? "'Up the high and the Erie Canal and round Michigan by the lakes. "'It will be cool in the water. "'Yes, that's true, and I'll take your advice. "'That's right. "'They'll be less likely to catch cold from any little exposure, "'and their necks and arms will be protected from the sun. "'Now, if you'll tear off a skirt, I'll get to work. "'I brought thimble and scissors along those were not the days of sewing-machines, and though garments were made in much simpler style the sewing for such a family as the keiths, was no small task. It would take some weeks of very diligent work, by three or four pairs of hands to accomplish what the mother deemed necessary in the way of preparing their wardrobe for the contemplated journey. Under the instruction of her mother and aunt, Mildred had already become as accomplished a needlewoman as either of them. A seamstress had been engaged to assist but could not be had for a few days so plans and prospects could be talked over freely as the three sat and worked together baby anna asleep in her cradle or playing contentedly on the carpet at her mother's feet thank you for listening to another episode of eager soft story classic